Father, we're trusting you today that you are our keeper. You're the keeper of our soul, the keeper of our life. I wanna trust you today, trust you more. Breathe on us with your breath, breathe on us with your spirit. When we slip, when we fall, when we're asleep, you are the existing one, the one that is ever present. We wanna learn from you today. We wanna trust you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sit, uh, we're gonna read together 1 Kings 17. So coming up on our screens, uh, we're gonna go through it together. You can read it on your, your Bibles. Um, and it goes like this. It says, now Elijah, which means my God is Yahweh, the Tishbite, the Tishbite in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, turn eastward and hide yourself in the brook of Cherif. Turn to your neighbor and say, Cherif. Or Cherif, yeah, Good, better pronouncing. <laughs> which means cutting or pruning, which is the east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. And so he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook of Cherif, and in, in, that was in the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the Lord uh, came, the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath. Everybody say to your neighbor, Zarephath. Which means refining or smeltering. Which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, give me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it to him, he called to her and said, bring a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have baked nothing, only a handful of flour in a little jar and there's a little oil of jug and that's it. And now I'm going to gather a couple of sticks and I'm going to go there and prepare it for myself and my son and die. Dramatic. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. And, and, and afterwards, make something for yourself and for your son. Thus says the Lord your God, the flour, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rains upon the earth. And she went and she did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord 
that he spoke to Elijah. We're not done yet. This is the last bit, the finale. After this, the son of the woman and the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that his breath left him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause my death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from his arms and carried him to the upper chamber. Say to your neighbor, upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow of whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him. He was revived. And Elijah took the child that he brought down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Father, breathe your spirit. Breathe your living hope into us today, Yahweh, amen. You may be seated. I was a long one, well done for getting it through, but it's a great one, it's a great chapter, and uh, we're going to continue our uh, series to this, uh, this at the moment we're going through, which is called, Who Are You Looking For? It's not about the what, but it's about the who. Uh, Who am I? I'm Sam. Sam Walker, I'm on the the oversight team here, on the teaching team, and um, the mission of Flood, as you can see, and as Zara said, is to bring upcoming generations to Christ. To who? To Christ for transformation. We believe more in the who. We do things, we do some amazing things together, but we're we're called to say and point people to Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at today. And today, we're going to look particularly from this passage at who are the hopeless looking for? Where are you feeling hopeless at the moment? Is it in a relationship that you thought was gonna work out or you had so much hope on and it's starting to crumble, it feels hopeless to keep going at it? Maybe it's a a habit that you are trying to break or a sin that you are trying to, to work on but the trauma from the past or the situation is pressing on you and it feels hopeless to see any transformation. Maybe the job you are searching for, maybe the situation you are trying to to work is just not happening. You're knocking on doors, you're doing everything you can, but it seems hopeless. Maybe it's an illness that you or someone you love is battling with. The doctors keep coming back and saying, we're gonna have to do another test. We're gonna have to do this. We're gonna have to go through this. Where is your hopelessness at the moment? We're going to look at what happens in this story together. And as we do that, we're going to look at meaning, meaning of the text, what the authors were saying, how they were relating it to other stories in the Bible and other words. But also we're going to look at the significance of the truth and what that means for us today. Does that sound all right? Yeah? Great. So names have meaning, don't they? 
If I say Dave to you, for example, just a random name, maybe Dave's a good guy to you. Maybe Dave's the man. Yeah, maybe Dave's the man. Yeah, Dave, it's, it's a good thing when you say Dave. But maybe Dave is someone that cheated on you and you ain't calling your kid that because that reminds you of something that was not good. So names have this. And the first name we come across in this is Elijah. Elijah. Out of nowhere, this prophet comes up. We've had 16 chapters before, king after king, Gradually, the kingdom is going downhill. It's getting more and more hopeless. We get to King uh, Ahab, and this guy is just worse than all the rest of them. He is offering things to other gods that he shouldn't be doing in the sense of he is a God's chosen people on different places. He's making up idols. He's even sacrificing his own children and king and kin. This is a hopeless situation. situation. And Elijah comes into it, and his name actually basically means, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. What is Yahweh? Yahweh is the intimate name of God that's given to the people of, um, of Israel. It's when they come out into the desert. You say, well, who, who is this God? Who is this God that you serve? Who are you coming into covenant with? It's an I am. I am who I am. There's something about being, there's something about presence, there's something that's different. Baal, the God that Ahab is worshipping too, is, is a God that does. You go to it, it's not raining, you go to him. He was a fertility God. But Yahweh is something different, there's something of an intimate name. They don't even know how it actually might have been pronounced, it's just vowel, uh, like consonants together. People don't even know the name like how it was, and they've come up with this, maybe it sounded something like Yahweh, maybe something, Echei. Yeah? Almost like, uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, what? But what are we doing? What, what are we pinning? The goodness of God onto it, the goodness, the love of God in this name and who God is. So this is God, my God is Yahweh, Elijah on the scene. What happens? He's proclaimed this thing to the, king, the kingdom of Israel, and you think, okay, great, we're going to get Yahweh, he's going to come in, he's going to start having, you know, we're going to go to Gateway, we're going to do a massive concert on there, we're going to get the government involved, we're going to be like, we've got to straighten things out, guys, things are not happening, we've got to do all these things. But no, what happens? Go to Cherith, a place of cutting, a place of pruning. Sometimes God needs to deal with things and cut things and prune things in us, and that hopeless situation turns into a place where God can still turn up in the wilderness. I remember a cutting time in my own life about seven, eight years ago. I was in Mizuzu, and I just went through a terrible few weeks. Thing after thing started to happen. I started to get more and more hopeless. The first thing I come after with uh, some work, I'd been away for I think it was about a week, came back to my house, the roof had leaked. In. No one else was there. I was staying alone. No one else was there to look at anything. And it had been leaking and leaking for a whole week. You know how Mizuzu rains, eh? Oof. So I get in. Everything is uh, moldy. There's, you know, I've got to throw stuff away. Next, I'm go coming back from a Bible uh, study, and a car swerves in, hits me on the, on the arm. And then we shout out. There's a group in front of us, and luckily they also move out of the way, and the car just speeds off. Random but awful thing. And then the relationship that I had been in ended. I'm thinking, God, where are you in this? What is going on? You're cutting into this. 
As the time went on, I found myself in the next month down in a long way. What's going on? I lost a relationship, but I find friends. I find people that I can connect with, be more vulnerable with than I've ever been in my life and start to build things. I am safe. I wasn't that harmed by the car thing. I've still got my life. I can be thankful of God's provision in that. And actually, some of the things that I had, I didn't really need. And trust God with what I have. Also, we see at this place, there's water, there's a brook, there's water bubbling up. What do we need to start thinking about when there's water on the scene? We need to be thinking about the Garden of Eden again, back to the beginning this river that comes out of Eden from the mountain that's feeding the nations. Maybe something is going to happen in this space. Maybe something God is going to do through this. The other character that comes up straight away here is a raven. What a random bird. A random bird that comes up. I don't know if you know what a raven is. Um, I like birds. The feathered variety, guys, okay? Not the female variety. They're great. They are beautiful as well. But I also like birds. I like birds. And I went to Ethiopia. And there's a lot of special birds there. And there's a real special raven I I wanted to see at some point. So I I was walking around. I didn't know if I was going to see it. But I was just like, I'm going to have a walk around where I am. And uh, this bad boy is the guy that I came up with. Big Bird. This guy, I don't think he's evolved from the dinosaurs. This guy looks like he's about to attack. And I came down this alleyway. Again, I wasn't expecting. I was walking, just enjoying where the area we, where we were in, in, in Addis. And um, there's this pile of rubbish. There's this pile of food. There's a pile of things. And there's about eight or ten of these things. You know, eating what's on the floor. And literally one of them looked up and was like, when I came back, I was like, okay. From that, I was walking, you know, I like to walk, but that, I was running. Like, I was getting out of there. I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to stick around with you. So when I think of ravens, when I, read, I see this, I see this, you know, and I just wonder, like, why did God not bring, like, a pigeon or a dove? Doves are holy, yeah, doves are holy. Uh, maybe butterflies, you know, bringing, like, bread, you know, all magic kind of, you know. That would be cool, but no, a raven. What are ravens about? Ravens are unclean in this context. They're not something you would expect that God would bring into that situation to bless and to keep you. A bird that was unclean, you weren't even able to touch this thing, let alone touch the other stuff. This seems really bizarre. And the other story that comes to mind is the flood narrative. You remember the raven? It sends out the raven, it hovers around, it's looking for land, and then eventually it dries up. And that same sentence with raven and dries up, we can see here, there's talks about raven and then the brook dried up. What are the, what are the writers trying to say? Maybe it's like, ooh, there was a decreation. There was, there was something that God has done. He has said, right, enough is enough. I'm gonna come back as Yahweh and show you that this is the true God. Um, but there's gonna be a decreation that happens. But now there might be something that I am recreating in this situation, from this place that doesn't seem like it. And what does he do? He provides meat and bread. In the wilderness, there was a, oh, you can see this guy, he's even got meat. Look at that. Man was like, boom, there you go, Elijah. Boom. You know, blood, every, oh, it was horrible. But anyway, he was going to eat this stuff, but it came twice, in the morning and the evening. This is a double portion. Why is Elijah like, whoa. Expecting that you gave manna and quails in the desert, but now you're giving me a double portion of real meat, KFC from the from the heavens. 
What is going on? The next place that comes up in this story that I got you to say together was Zareph, a place of refining and smeltering. Smeltering is a quite hard word to say, especially you need some more water. Um, but smeltering is when you get ore. So you get the, the iron ore or the gold ore or the thing and you come and you refine it. It's a place of refining. This place was a place of wealth, but it was also outside of the promised land. It was a Gentile land. It was a hub for the god Baal. But yet Yahweh is there, turning off the tap. What did I say Baal was? He was the god of fertility and rain. And Yahweh just goes, "Uh uh-uh. Something of worth is coming out in that refining. Something of this faith that Elijah is saying, you commanded me to go, I'm going. When he goes, what does he find? He finds a woman, a Gentile widow, someone that's lost their security in the sense of family and someone that is going to be beside her. And she is poor. She's gathering sticks. She's not, you know, I would have thought Elijah would go, great, I'm going to the place of gold. There's going to be even more than KFC. There's going to be like, oh, spread. No. A widow. In this story, there's so many little connections that I just blew. I won't go through all of them, but there's a connection to Abraham and Isaac here that I want to bring out. Remember that the um, Yahweh, so comes to, in Genesis 18, you can go through it in your own time, but he comes to Abraham um, and there's two other angels with him. There's like three, three, three weird guys out of nowhere. And Abraham's like, guys, come in. I'll give you a little morsel of bread, the same line that's in here. I will give you water, a little bit of water, the same line is here. And also this amazing thing of, he says, go and do what you say you, say you will do. Word for word of what Elijah, we're meant to see maybe that Elijah is the image of Yahweh in this story. And we see it more. What does he say? Give me your son, Abraham, give me Isaac. Sticks are there as well. Ooh, what were sticks? Sticks on the, you know, before Isaac, they put sticks on Isaac and then they sent him up the mountain. There's something going on here. Three days to go to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. Elijah cries three times over this dead boy. God is going to do something in this. We want to be saying there's something going to happen to this son. What is it? And the final one, upper chamber, I just want to bring us to. This is like a high room. This is a room uh, that is like almost like a high place, like a mountain. We've got to be thinking of mountain. We're going to the mountain. We're a place where sacrifice and resolution is going to happen. The same thing happened to Isaac. There's an upper place where heaven and earth meet. Where does heaven and earth meet for us? It meets in Jesus. Heaven and earth met in Jesus. This upper room, we've seen that song. Remember that song? In the upper room, that's where we find Jesus. And then even the Holy Spirit comes to an upper room for the first time to, uh, to anoint and send out supercharged humans ready to do what God is wanting to do. We don't expect these things, but they seem to happen in a place of hopelessness. So what is the truth of this? We're going to go through some truths together. I want to look at do and don'ts as we look for Yahweh in our hopelessness. The first one is don't get lost in what God did or didn't do, but do pay close attention to who God was, is, and is to come. 
Ravens, what's, what are you doing, God? Unclean birds, how are you gonna do something with my, even my uncleanness, how are you gonna work that through, work through that? Gentiles, outside, people that are not of the chosen, still using, and suddenly a death where you just saved their life. Now, son is dead. Sometimes we think God is a formula God. We do this, we pray. Have you ever had those people where you're like, okay, you need to go, you've got this situation, yeah? You need to go to the mountain, you need to pray three times, you need to put the oil on you, go, go for it, go crazy, you know? This worked for me, it's gonna work for you. But God is not a prescription God. Yahweh is not a prescription God. It's gonna turn up in a different way than maybe we are expecting it. I love uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia story. Aslan, this lion who is the image of Jesus in his sort of stories. Um, the child asks, is he a good lion? Okay, these lions talk. Anyway, you can read the story, but it's like a fancy. Is he a good lion? It's like, yeah, he's good, but he ain't a tame lion. He's not gonna do what you think he might do, but he is good. He is good. My own story with this that I wanna share is um, I think about 18 years ago, my mom had um, aggressive breast cancer. And it was, it was obviously a shock, and we didn't know what was going to happen. But we did feel as a family that God was saying, Jesus, I'm with you in this fire that's, that's burning. And when, after we prayed that together as a family, I went and I just sobbed on my bed uh, to God. And I just felt like praying Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if she's gonna live or die, but I know she's in your hands and she's safe. And I praise God that she's still alive today, that she came through that, that we saw God uh, come through in that sense, but we saw how God was changing things, was refining things, was pruning things in as a family, as my mom, you know, working on her depression, getting rid of that, saying, I am, I am your God. I am going to be with you through to the end. We saw that. But then what comes about another five, eight years later, one of my best friends in the UK, I was a best man at his wedding, and uh, his mom also got cancer, a different type of cancer. And... She might have beat the expiry date that the doctor gave her. She may have seen people come to Jesus through her testimony and see how God changed her um, relationship with God and how she was relating with others. But she didn't make it. She's not here now. For me to go and to say, how do I speak to my friend who's lost? Why, why has God chosen my mom and not them to live? I... I didn't know what to say, I didn't know why. But I did know that God still cared deeply, more deeply than I, more deeply than my friend for his mom. And she is his, bringing God's character, God's desire, God's heart to that situation. But it wasn't easy. Number two, don't stop crying out in your hopelessness, but do continue to carry yourself to your living hope, Yahweh. The widow needed somewhere to get dramatic, didn't she? She was like, whoa, everything's going wrong, da, 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 we're gonna die. Like, okay, that might be about what's gonna happen, but that is like, that is going for it. But we need spaces to do that. We need spaces where we can come to God and be like that. We can come to one another to do that. Elijah took that on as well. He cried three times out to Lord. Why, why, why? 
I feel there's people here at the moment when I was praying about this that you've given up bringing your situation to God again. You've given up bringing that situation before him. It seems dead. And I want to, I feel like God wants to encourage you. You can still bring it. You still need to bring it. I know it's hard. I know it's, it, you don't know what's going to happen, but you can bring it to the living hope. You can bring it to Yahweh and he will hear you. Don't look at the supplies you need, but do look to Yahweh, your endless supplier. Elijah got a double portion where he didn't expect it. Jesus talks about ravens. He says, you know, you're better than the ravens anyway. And, you know, I feed them. But they don't even sow. They don't even go out. And they don't, they're not doing these things. But God provides in their situation. The oil and the flour never stopped flowing until the other provision came. Until the rain came. Yahweh is our endless supplier of our needs. We need to draw on that endless tank that is there in Jesus, that endless joy and love and hope and grace. What do you need to keep going? What do you, I mean, imagine if an ATM was like that. We'd keep going, yeah? Let's just get the more, more money, you know, 10,000 notes out rather than 5,000, please. That is the God that we can come to, an endless supply of what we need and who he is to us in that situation. I am who I am for you where you're at. Don't pin your hope on a person, a position, or a possession. But do fix your gaze on the great I am, Yahweh. It's not that girl you're after. It's not that boy you're after. It's not that status you're trying to achieve. It's not those clicks you're trying to get, that fame. It's not about the job. It's not about the thing itself. It's about the one that gives that hope. Don't let the thing you are hoping for become the actual hope of God's place. You know, Yahweh believed, uh, sorry, the widow believed in Yahweh at the start. She says, hey, I know that your Yahweh lives, okay? I'm, I'm kind of believing in this Yahweh. Um, but she loses that name when her hope of her son goes. She cries out, oh man of God, like all the other gods almost, like all the other gods almost, you've just done the same. You've just done the same. What, what is this? My hope has gone. You failed like the other ones. But the hope giver, Yahweh, is different. He comes onto the scene. He comes and he says, I'm still there. Her presence is still there. I am with you. I, the great I am, is still with you. And then finally, don't focus on the weight you are carrying, but do focus on who you are carrying the weight to, Yahweh. Just imagine the weight of that dead, lifeless boy and bringing that dead dream, that dead hope of her future and having to let go and able to give it to Elijah, who's representing Yahweh in this instance. I don't know how it's going to turn out, God. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I can trust in Jesus that he is the provider of life. We sang about it earlier. He is the breath of life. He is the one that shines in the darkness. This is who it is. Maybe the widow had a pinch of faith, even in that. She'd seen how he provided with the oil and the flour, and she was saying, Maybe this God, 
Maybe. Bring that pinch, however small it feels. However hanging on by a thread your situation is. God is willing to hear you. We need to give our burden to him. So maybe your situation at the moment is not that hopeless, but there's always going to be hopelessness around us on this side of eternity. And I want to just give a few things to help us as we see other people in those hopeless situations, those hopeless seasons. I want us just to to look at three points. The first one is relate your stories of hope to God's nature. Avoid saying God will do exactly what and how he did for me. It's not sometimes helpful to say that God is exactly going to do what he did. But you can say, okay, this is what happened with me. I saw God's goodness out of this. I saw God's compassion out of this. I saw his faithfulness through this and loving kind. And I believe that that is the God that will still meet you, even if he brings unclean ravens, even if he brings situations that you didn't see that God could turn out. It's not over. Jesus is the place we can run to. Jesus is the one we can run to. Number two, listen to their story and listen to the depth of the hopelessness that's there. In this story, we see that Elijah listened to that depth, listened to the point of where she was and was patient to listen more, but also to be able to bring hope. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do you know, with, with hopelessness, there's two sides that can bring us to that. There's the fear of, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I've done too much. There's the fear, but there's also the pride. I've done too much. That's a prideful thing as well. That's a prideful thing. I'm not seeing that God is also going to come in to that situation. So you can help through love and humility and patience to guide them away from the fear, away from the pride, whatever is showing up in that situation. And then finally, show up and carry weights both physically and spiritually. Take hold of that dead dream with them. Maybe you're going to have to mourn with them. Maybe you're going to have to grieve with them in whatever way that comes out. But be there at that point. And then point to Jesus, our living hope, our resurrected hope. That's where we need to say, okay, Yahweh's nature, this is our proof point to say, actually, Yahweh's nature does come through. It's the cross, but it's also the resurrection, and it will work for you for both now and forevermore. Their hope lives in Yahweh and a God who is present. So I'm going to invite the, the, the worship team to come as we sing one more song together. And I want to invite you to where you are right now. I don't know what's going on. Some of the examples we've given might have hit home. Some of this story might be saying, okay, I need to reevaluate how I'm viewing God right now and who he is and who I'm looking for. So I invite you to stand. Let's stand together. I, I want us to just respond. Maybe close your eyes where you are. Think and ponder, meditate a little bit, or maybe a broken dream of you or someone else around you, a dashed hope that seems a complete mess and you don't know where to start. We're saying this morning, let's start with Yahweh. Let's start with Jesus. Let's start and pin our hope on him. So as we're there, I just want us to think about these words that Elijah said. He said, Yahweh, my God, let 
this child's life come into him again. Right now, Lord, I want to pray, Yahweh, my God, let this dream, pray for yourself, let this hope, life, come into me again. Let it come again into me, Jesus. Spirit, we know you're here. We know you're present. Whether it be in the valley or on top of the mountain, the upper chamber, Lord. Where you meet is where we are. You come. So meet us as we pray and we sing this song. Let us, let us sing it as a prayer. Let us sing it as a prayer to Jesus. Jesus.